You're listening to Chicago Writes, a podcast of the Chicago Writers Association. On this episode, we showcase our 2021 Book of the Year Award winners for Indian traditional fiction with critically acclaimed author Libby Fisher-Hellman and award-winning writer Rachel Swearingen. A quick announcement from our CWA calendar. The Chicago Writers Association will be holding a virtual comic book writing workshop on Saturday, February 5th, 2022 from 12 p.m. until 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. To register, go to Eventbrite and search Writing Comics Workshop. Critically acclaimed author Libby Fisher-Hellman writes strong women, from her Ellie Foreman mysteries to the suspenseful adventures of blonde and beautiful Chicago P.I. Georgia Davis. And Hellman has taken us around the world, to war, and across history through the eyes of female characters, you know, the other half of the world. She is also the 2021 Chicago Writers Association Book of the Year Award winner for Indie Fiction. No spoiler alerts here, we are after the nuts and bolts of writing effective fiction, especially strong female characters. Her website is Libby Hellman, that's with two N's, dot com is her website. Libby, congratulations on being one of 2021's Book of the Year Award winners from CWA. Thank you. It's uh, it's pretty gratifying. I always describe myself. I don't know if you know this. Who this is? Is the Susan Lucci of the mystery world? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm nominated a lot, but I never win, except um, this time I did. So there you excellent. go. Well, that that's great. Then let's start with this. Give. Our, our readers a little bit of background about your writing. Give us a brief synopsis of A Bend in the River. It's about two sisters whose family and village is destroyed in the first or second chapter of the book mm-hmm. during the Vietnam War in Vietnam. And they are forced to go to Saigon, which most many refugees from the war did go to and um, make their make their life over again. And they have, uh, they're, they're only three years apart, but they have very different views of the world. And one sister becomes a barmaid at a GI bar in Saigon. And the other one fights for the Viet Cong. Uh, on, on opposite sides, as it, as it yeah. were. But they, but they both start off in the, in the same place with the attack on their village. Right. But you render um, in, in very strong, um, in very strong imagery. It, it's, it's really, it's really very stunning. Thank you. And I haven't gotten to the end yet. So, so no spoiler alerts here, but I'm, I'm about, about a third of the way through. So oh, I've got, I've got a ways to go, Oh yeah. but, but the setup, the setup is, is really expertly done because you're already leading us down this road, the, the sort of, the sort of tumbling, rolling hillside, I suppose, where where a person picks up momentum as they continue to fall, where we don't know what awaits them at the end. Yeah, Um, exactly. You're a white American woman writing on the experiences of two young Vietnamese sisters, circa the, the Tet Offensive, 1968, 1969, a world away in a war, a culture apart, 
how do you set out bridging that terrific gap? Well, you know, it wasn't such a big, big a gap as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in college during most of the Vietnam. No, I was in high school and then college during most of the Vietnam War. And I was, you know, an activist at the time. I was anti-war. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really consider the Vietnamese side of it. Back then, it was all really much more about the U.S. and the soldiers and sure. did treat the soldiers pretty badly when they came home. That was true. That that wasn't that wasn't one of our finest moments. But anyway, mm -hmm. being a young adolescent or post adolescent myself at the time of the Vietnam War, I could get into that. I remember what it was like back then. I remember what it was like in the late 60s and the most of the 70s. So um, that part of it was, was easy. Mm -hmm. uh, I did a lot of research, though. And I was in Vietnam for three weeks um, in, before the pandemic started in 2019. So between that and reading a lot of literature that came out of the war, Mm -hmm. um, and then just, uh, I actually ended up buying, um, Stanley Carnell's history of the Vietnam war. I forget the title of it, but it was a history of the war and, um, looked up dates and looked up and actually got a character out of, uh, out of it. It was, you know, a dry historical book, but he talked about a character that I ended up putting in the story whom you have probably met, but you don't know that she's important until later. And you, you, you really immerse the reader in, in that experience as well. There's, there, there's a map of Vietnam and, but then there's, there's also, um, there's also pronunciation. Yeah. That was the hardest part was, yeah. you know, it's easy to write the, the correct spelling, uh -huh. but my audio producer, my, the, the woman who narrated the audio book and I, had we ended up hiring, well, the same woman who helped me with all of the honorariums and the um, customs to make sure that I had those right, mm -hmm. um, went through the pronunciations of all the names and some of the towns with us. And she, my narrator did a fabulous job. She really did. She got Viet them right. Vietnamese is, is a tough language. I, I, I worked uh, I, I worked for, uh, for a logistics company and we handled uh, Vietnam. And it's, it's a, it's a tough language. It's very nasal. Yes. Very, yeah. Right. And, but then and there's, there's also, there's also a, a lot of cultural affectations, polite ways of, of speaking to people and, and not speaking to people. That was something that, that I'm sure you picked up being there. How important is travel and being in a place, uh, especially a foreign place to, uh, to a writer? Oh, it's, it's critical. Even just taking pictures on the street, which, mm -hmm. you know, I took rolls and rolls and rolls and mm -hmm. smelling the smells and um, tasting the food. And yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you can, get, if you can do it, it's great. It's really, really, it's, it really makes a difference because you can come up with the sensory details yeah. that readers like to hear, like, like to read about. And, and the, and the challenges and faux pas of of uh, of interacting with with people from a different culture right 
is well, back in the back in the 60s and 70s was it was a different culture than it is now i mean yeah. you would not believe you know for people who've gone to vietnam they know recently mm-hmm. they know that you know it it is communist in name only mm-hmm. um and it's like china i mean there are more young people on motor scooters trying to break in and make it rich <laughs> than you would ever believe. I love this line, and, and I, I probably won't do proper service to the name. It's spelled in the book as Tam with a uh, with an accent mark um, over the A, but Tum, Tum is, is how it's pr- uh, pronounced. Um, Tum slowed down and coughed up phlegm. She squatted on the narrow strip of beach and worried her hands through her hair. I love, I love when authors have such a command of the language that they're able to flip an adjective like worried to a verb. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. But language is very malleable. Sure it is. Particularly the English language. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, that that gets to the, the root of writing, which is, you know, what do you put on the paper? Yeah. yeah. How much and how much is too much and how much is just enough for a reader to really to enca- encapsulate a setting or a time or a feeling or an action. But it, it's such an action word, the way you use it there, worried her hands through her hair. Yeah. There's, there's an encyclopedia of information about that character and where she is at that moment using that word. Yeah. It was, it was stunning, stunning. What is the key or, or the necessary diligence in creating and writing a substantial central female character? What is the key? I think it helps to be a female. Okay, okay. A woman? Um, we've seen the world differently mm-hmm. than men do, mm-hmm. and um, we understand how men see it. I, well, I'll speak for myself. I think I understand how men see the world. Mm-hmm. It's not how I see the world, but I can still write about men. I can still create male characters when I need to, but I prefer female characters because I think that they have not only the sensibility of a female but they Mm -hmm. do understand men and males or they try to Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. in a way they have more and they and there's sort of a cultural default when you say building a character there's there's an abstract non-gender designation there but but we we seem to culturally automatically default to a strong central character means means a uh a male character. I would take issue with that, but of course, um, of course, a woman not only has to understand the sensibilities of a man and yeah. females, but you know, there's the whole orientation of family and home, mm-hmm. and it's usually mm-hmm. a woman. Even though things have changed somewhat, it's still yeah. back. It certainly was the woman's job to provide the home and the meals and the cleaning. And um, there, there is a, a co- there are a couple of lines where. Um, the younger sister, uh, Mei Ling, mm-hmm. uh, Mai, Mai, as you pronounce it, kind of rebels against the stereotype and says, you know, she made, uh, you know, our father made, made our mother go out and feed the goats and, and, and uh, till the land and then come home and make dinner on top of it. And, you know, taking, taking lunch hour and, 
doing his having his way with her. You know, there was no way for her to say, ah, I'm not in the mood. I mean, they're just it was just what it was. But you, so a woman had to do a Vietnamese woman yeah. was definitely they were definitely considered second class citizens. Yeah, yeah. No, and 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 my my point about um about that that sort of default to a male character when the designation is is in the abstract or or non-gender was was really to kind of show the cultural pressure that mm-hmm. is th- that that we don't think about when we're when we're we're building a character. And so I I I I loved your explanation of that. Can can a male character adequately write a strong female character or is that the failure of my gender of my gender uh to in not learning to properly write real effective female characters you know i i think that um john grisham does does a pretty good job believe Uh it or not Uh um and there are a lot of male writers now that have female protagonists. Right. So I, I, you know, because particularly in the mystery and crime fiction genre Mm -hmm. and historical also, because most of the readers or the buyers of those books are going to be women. So a lot of men, men have started writing female oriented series. I mean, Michael Connelly has, Mm -hmm. and And it's really, it's really always been that way that, that women have been, have been the 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 primary customers for uh, for for fiction in 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 particular. Right, it is true. Yeah. Although I just did a, a interesting um, Facebook um, ad campaign for my book Havana Lost, just mm-hmm. for for other, and I put both genders on the ad, and more men reacted to the ad than women, and I was really surprised at that. Really, like I put in gambling is one of the targets and so i think that's what brought them all in mm-hmm. all right <laughs> but that's but, but that that's a that's a brilliant form of marketing and 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 I, i'm going to touch on that in just a moment but i i sort of wanted to keep do schools at at any level aid or impede that learning curve of 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 creating a strong central female character um or for all genders and 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 i i say for all genders because i i know my uh um, uh, a dear, dear transgender friend, uh, Delia Crop is listening. I'd love you to speak to that a little bit. Schools? Yeah, the just education in, in general. Sort. I think, um, you know, teachers have so many pressures on them that this would not be a priority mm-hmm. in, their, in their English curriculum or their literature c- curriculum yeah. until you get to college. And then I think it's sort of who... Uh, it's sort of random who, what kind of a teacher you get. Yeah. Or what yeah. Kind of professor that you get. I don't, I don't, I think only if it's a, it's a very small school with a very esoteric curriculum. I mean, mm-hmm. like um, uh, what's not Bowdoin in Maine. There's a, there's a women's and it's a literary college and it starts with a B and I'm really bad because I'm having a senior moment and I can't think of the name of it. They might. They might have a course or they might have people that guide, you know, mentor other right. young women that are that are wanting to learn how to write that kind of a character. Uh, let's uh, let's flip over to marketing since you since you started that uh, oh. that ball rolling here a little bit. I think it's it's incredibly important. We, we talk about the craft of writing. Uh, we 
all too often, and and I've I've talked about this on numerous occasions on my uh, my arts radio show. We don't talk about the business of art or the business of writing. So you you brought up you brought up marketing and and how simple tags on on a promotion of uh, of your book uh, Havana Havana Lost, correct? How that sort of bridged a gap to to uh, to male readers, right? And brought in brought in a number of male readers. Yeah, um, I was, well, I didn't not readers, but people who looked at the book. Okay, the marketing uh, campaign was a bust. Yeah. Just so you know. oh, okay. Okay. But that's that, that's a hell of a first step is just to get people to notice you. Yeah. In the marketplace, so marketing and self promotion are imperative. Uh, have you found a winning strategy for promoting your work or? Uh, a, a partial solution to promoting your work. Pay to play. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. it's all pay to play these days. Yeah. Um, you know, people ask me, well, how much is it going to cost to self-publish my book? Mm-hmm. And I say, not, not a whole lot, but you better save your pennies for marketing because it's a black hole. And, um, you know, you can spend a lot of money if you're not careful and you don't know what you're doing or you don't have advice from someone who does know what they're doing. Is there something that's worked through time? There is one thing I think that never um, goes away and those are good reviews. And I think, you know, if you, they say that word of mouth is still the best way that a book gets sold. And that, and I believe that because, you know, every once in a while, a title that hasn't had any big marketing budget applied to it, you know, kind of, kind of slips through the ether and comes up to the top level of the sea. And I'm mixing my metaphors beautifully here. (laughs) And, um, you know, you know that it's been talked about by many, many people and it's, it's risen up. Uh, So, so I think um, good reviews and good word of mouth are the starting points. Barnes and Noble just closed up here by us. Um, I, I recall uh, we're we're Where in Rogers. We're in we're in Rogers Park. Um, oh. But so, but the uh, uh, and this is at um, uh, Old Orchard Mall. The yeah, Barnes and Noble yeah. closed up. Yeah, that was one of that was the second place, second signing I ever had was at Barnes and Noble Old Orchard. Right, that was twenty years ago. And. I, I remember up and down Clark Street, there used to be on, on, on almost every block, there was there was a bookstore. Uh, now it's all it's all digital marketing or, or prim- primarily digital marketing. Yeah, well, uh, women and children first are still there. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, they're doing OK, from what I understand. I mean, it's, you know, OK is relative because yeah. we're in the middle of a pandemic and yeah. Yeah. Um, bookstores are not known for being um extremely profitable but they're still there so that says something but yes it is on all line it is all online i would say that 90 percent of my promotion dollars go online in one form or another and there's sort of a direct marketing aspect to that but it it can be far more difficult to, to get over someone's innate disinterest or being overwhelmed by by the the number of things that are coming at them yeah are, are, are you finding that that sales have been inhibited with with the move to online or is it just different well for me it's actually been a whole lot better 
Okay. Um, but I also, I spend my, I have, I will say that I know my way around Amazon ads now. Yeah. yeah. And they, believe it or not, are responsible for a sharp spike in my sales over the past year, although that can end at any time. And I, I spent, I spent um, some money and I took a class and I learned mm-hmm. the, how to do them and they're doing okay. Um, I'm now doing the same thing with Facebook because I'm so bad at Facebook ads mm-hmm. uh, and I'm still really bad at Facebook <laughs> ads. So, um, those, but those two are the ones that are the most, can give you the most profitable return on investment your money but then there's a lot of other things that yeah. you know a lot of other places one wants to be net galley have you ever heard of net galley uh-uh. i haven't no it's a place for well traditional publishers as well as independent mm-hmm. authors and publishers place their advanced reading copies on net galley okay uh, and i just put up my book that's coming out in march for a month so people can download it and read it. Interesting, interesting. Review. Uh, we're so, going to be talking uh, in a little bit. We're going to be talking with David W. Burner, who's uh, who's moving, sure. uh, who's going to be publishing his first book on subtext, the the online publishing publishing forum. Nice. Um, so it, and and that's that's again that that kind of direct almost. Well, direct email marketing, but direct marketing aspect. Well, email marketing is still very important. Yeah. They, they all say the most valuable real estate that you own is your newsletter list. Yeah. The people that you ask to sign up to hear from you somewhat regularly or occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, no one so you, can take that away from you. So you've got you've got two series and then and then some standalone novels. Correct. Yeah. Which, which sells better for you? You know, it's, it used to be the series and now over the past year, it's been the historicals. Okay. They're they're selling like gangbusters and I'm not sure why that's happening, but I love writing them. Mm -hmm. So um, I just finished a series book because I try to rotate between Ellie, Georgia, and a, and a historical, and then Ellie, Georgia, historical. So I just finished the Georgia book, and I'm, believe it or not, even though Bend came out, it seems like yesterday, uh-huh. I'll be writing another one, another historical soon. And I know the subject, which is pretty amazing, <laughs> because usually I don't. I know the time and the subject, but I'm not going to tell you yet. All right, good. Well, uh, you know what, what, what when it comes out? We'll have you back. How about how about that? Love that. You know, I I, I, I threw a lot up on on the on the page here. Uh, one of them was writer's block. I have no idea why I put that up in regards to your work. <laughs> I do have writer's block. You know, and it it's really not writer's block. It's not knowing the next arc of the book. Yeah. It's yeah. You know, I don't outline. Um, I just start in. I I I try to craft a pretty good first sentence and then I just go and you know people either are people who outline or people who don't outline Jeffrey Deaver who is a very successful crime fiction author Mm -hmm. spends eight months on an outline it is so detailed he only spends four months writing the book wow wow his outline I'm on the other side of the fence I don't outline at all but neither do I 
as I keep going, see, but the first chapter already limits you, right? And the second chapter limits us when we don't outline. And so as we keep going, the book itself goes from a, it's like a funnel. It goes from a wide top to a narrow, like a, to a narrow slender cylinder. And there are fewer choices we can make that are believable and authentic. Yeah. And so um, we end up having to kind of outline to keep ourselves from uh, <laughs> getting into territory that's totally un unsatisfying for a reader. So I, about the middle of the book, I usually start to put all my notes in, in order and say, and to see if I know where it's going to go, because I usually don't know. All right. Critically acclaimed author Libby Fisher-Hellman writes Strong Women. Her latest book, A Bend in the River, is a 2021 Chicago Writers Association's Book of the Year award winner for indie fiction. Her website is Libby Hellman, that's with two N's, dot com. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is really, really fun. You're listening to Chicago Writes, a podcast of the Chicago Writers Association. A quick announcement from our CWA calendar. The Chicago Writers Association will be holding a virtual comic book writing workshop on Saturday, February 5th, 2022, from 12 p.m. until 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. To register, go to Eventbrite and search Writing Comics Workshop. Rachel Swearingen won this year's award under traditional fiction for her latest work, How to Walk on Water and Other Stories. In 2019, the Guild Literary Complex named her one of 30 writers to watch. She lives in Chicago and teaches at Cornell College's Low Residency MFA program. Her website is rachelswearingen.com. Congratulations, by the way. Thanks so much, Bill. I'm, I'm good. It's cold here, as you know, so, but I'm good, yeah. It, it was colder. It's, it's getting warmer here a little bit, but you're still in Chicago, I take it. Yes. Last year's, uh, well, uh, actually this year's book of the year, uh, Judge Elizabeth Wetmore, author of the shocking and powerful novel Valentine and a 2020 book of the year uh, winner, writes the nine stories in Rachel Swearingen's debut collection, How to Walk on Water, are magnificent. With her spare prose and keen insights into her characters' lives, Swearingen truly honors the elegant, noble tradition of the short story. That's uh, that's no small praise from who we thought last year was was an incredible author. Yeah, she's amazing. I, I have her book here, and um, we have such a generous uh, blurb from her, so I'm very grateful. 
This is your first book. Yes, it is. That's a hell of a way to start. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the New York Times, actually, a, a New York Times new and noteworthy selection uh, mentioned you. Also, uh, the uh, Electric Literature Favorite Story Collection of 2020 and a Chicago Tribune Fall 2020 Must Read title. That is, that's incredible for for a uh, for first uh for a first book. Yeah, it's, I was very surprised. I wasn't expecting that. I've been I've been writing for a long time. And, uh, you know, I, I know you've got several books out. But for me, it just it took a long time to get a book out. So it's uh, and in 2020, to to have any reception at all, especially yeah. when who's new, it was, uh, you know, really surprising and and, and pretty cool. However, however, in these times, an author has to work for that praise, you have to be you have to be in the right place at the right time. And that means positioning yourself as an author. What did you do as an author to position yourself to get the get the attention of the New York Times and the Chicago Tribune? Well, I've been writing for a long, I mean, I, you know, I'm in some ways, you know, I, I have an answer for this. And yet, as you know, so much of this is, is luck. And there's a lot of really fantastic writers out there that don't get that phrase. I saw, I read quite a few fantastic um, books this this past year and during the the pandemic that did not get that attention and so yeah. I just put that that caveat out there but I, I have been writing for quite a while and I've been sending short stories out for you know uh, almost 15 years now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so I did you know I, I have gotten to know a few editors and it's been a, a slow, a slow, uh, a build, but, uh, yeah. And I, I'm going to go back to a little bit more of what Elizabeth wrote for me. She writes two measures of a great collection of stories are, did the stories ring true? And will I wish to revisit them from time to time about halfway through your book? They are, they're written in kind of an in your face. This is who I am. Uh, from from a character standpoint, you present those characters in such a real and powerful and economic way. The stories do ring true. What is your what is your focus as a writer to to accomplish that? I think for me, you know, when I'm writing, I'm trying to get into a space where I can get to know my characters more, and I'm I'm constantly pushing against discomfort. You know, I, there's so many yeah, neat little ways yeah. to tell the story and get and as you know, you I mean. So many of us just, we want to get up to the place where we know things and then get out. And so for me, I'm, I'm constantly pushing against what it is that I don't know. And there's, I mean, I don't know, who was it, Hemingway that said we all have the, the, that bullshit trigger, you know. Uh, uh-huh. Anyway, uh, I can tell when I'm, when my characters aren't ringing true. And so, you know, sometimes they take a long time to, to break apart and get into, and to, uh, you know, I have to set a story aside for a while. And yeah, there's something that yeah. at me that says, okay, I, I don't really know what's going on here yet. And so I've got to push in, in further. I get what I think is a great ending. And I'm like, no, that's just words. You know, it doesn't necessarily ring true. And I, I'm not done done with this yet. How do you start or, or decide upon a particular story? Do you sort of understand the story or the character and then follow that character through a vignette or a story or an episode? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it works differently for each story. Some of the stories in the book came from a preoccupation with 
you know, other forms of art. And so I initially had this idea that I was going to do, I was going to write into visual images and paintings and things like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's super all the time, but I wanted to create stories. And of course, you know, the, the best laid plans, you know, I put this all <laughs> together and things started to go in other directions. And I was obsessed when I was, when I was writing some of these stories with um, detective shows and those true cli- crime shows. And I was like, why am I watching this? This is, you know, I was kind of hating myself for it at the same time. <laughs> and so, and I started noticing things in them and just playing with genre. And so that's a way in, but also I have to hear hear a voice and hear dialogue in order to get into a piece. And if I can't hear the voices, then I the, my stories don't really take off. And so that's part of the process too. That's interesting because you you write dialogue in, in a really natural, really powerful way. And and I, I say that as a, a screenwriter now, I, I'm I'm actually writing a, a script for for a major Hollywood production house. I've written several plays, two that have gone have have gotten national attention. So I understand some things about dialogue and rhythm and, and how those things come together. You, you've you've mastered that. Thank you. I, I feel like it's always a work in progress, you know, yeah. getting, getting those voices down. But, um, you know, it is something, I think it's something that I, that I had always naturally in my head as a kid. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I didn't, you know, it took me it took me a while to embrace that and to allow the, st- mm-hmm. you know, some, some writers are just really great at description, you know, or just that storyteller voice. And I think for me, that the, when the voice comes out, it tends to be through the mouths of the characters. As a writer, you need to balance that. And and mm-hmm. so so how do you find the balance in that of of rendering uh, of rendering a, a place or a time or or uh, or or a scene to to help support that dialogue, that conversation that you're um, that you're hearing? Well, I, you know, what I tend to do is I, you know, place is also really important yeah. and people, you know, dialogue and place work together. So, so yeah, well, yeah. and if yeah. I don't have one, I don't have the other. And I maybe lean a little too hard on atmosphere because I, I just, you know, I'm a sucker for really atmospheric pieces and film noir and uh-huh. all of that. And Right where sometimes it, I have to be careful because it can get a little corny. Um, and so, you know, for me, like lighting and all of that, just growing up on old movies, I think, um, you know, there's there's something I noticed in my work that early on that there was sort of a, I could see set pieces in my work. And I, uh-huh, was, uh-huh. I was embarrassed by that at first because I kept thinking it does, things don't feel real enough or they, or they feel kind of hyper real and then- right or not real. But then, you know, in some of these pieces, I, I started to just, instead of trying to hide that, I just tried to bring it out more. Do you enjoy writing short stories or are you exploring characters for, for larger pieces? I've got a, I've got a novel that I'm, well, I, I say this, I shouldn't jinx myself. I think it's finished. Uh-huh. Um, I've been working on it for about eight years and it's a community, a, a community novel. Okay. So there's several different points of view in there, including some animals. So um, that um, I'm doing that. And then I'm writing, playing around writing my first screenplay. And nice. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, this this book, How to Walk on Water, takes us all over the world. I, I haven't gotten to the piece on Venice yet. One of my 
all-time favorite cities in in the world. I, I'm waiting with bated breath to to see how you how you render Venice. Have you been to Venice? I have. Yeah, okay. Once. So, as I said, we were talking with David W. Berner, who who travels a lot and writes to the places he travels. We talked with Libby Hellman about her book, A Bend in the River, which takes place in Vietnam in, uh, in, in 1968. And, and she went to Vietnam. How important is travel to you as a writer? For me, it depends on the on the story and the project. Yeah. You know, for okay. a short story, I'm trying to think, I don't think there's any place in this story that I don't know well. Yeah. You know, a lot of the a lot of the the cities that are here, um, you know, they're places I've most of them are places I've lived, with the exception of Venice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's, so Chicago comes up, Seattle, where I lived for almost a decade, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so uh, you know, I I don't think I traveled to any of these places while I was writing the pieces, but I. I had been there before. You had been there. You had been there before. Yeah. But I think for me, place is so often, um, it's a character in my brain more than, you know, it may not even resemble the, the place yeah. of someone else. Yeah. Yeah. That that came across strongly in, in your writing that the, that the setting was was important, but not so over, uh, so important that it overwhelmed the the, the dialogue and the characters. Yeah, I think that's right. So what do you, so you're, you're, you're working on a, on a novel now that you think is done? I hope so. I'm, I'm How do you know that it's done? That's a good question. I say it's <laughs> done verse, um, but I think there's going to still be some revision involved, but at the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the basic structure, the structure and the storyline is there. Now I think it's cutting back. It's a little mm-hmm. too long. And I think, you know, there's uh, some work to be done there, but I, I thought I was done many times in the last few years. And then I would set it aside and I would reread it and know it wasn't done. You know, something didn't feel right. It wasn't quite coming together and trying to get a large structure in your head. Yeah. Now, I don't know when you switch from different types of projects, but for me, you know, I, I jumped into the book project without really thinking that much about it and came, you know, straight from the short stories. Uh-huh. I was bringing my short story brain to the novel, which I knew I was doing, but I, you know, I wasn't, I, I thought I'd be done in a year <laughs> and that turned into about eight years. So, um, and now I know, you know, that the, the next one is, will be different. It'll feel well, different. What is your writing, your writing style? Do you, do you start with an outline or do you just dive right in? I tend to dive right in, which can be some trouble. And, but then I take a step back and I'm constantly going back and forth between diving in and then taking a step back and outlining what I've done and then trying Mm -hmm. to think through it. And usually what happens is because I'm so intuitive, I think through it to the point where I think I've kind of got it. And then I try to write my way through, which is not the most efficient way of writing, especially a long book. Um, And so I'm constantly working against that you know, wanting to write versus think about it. Going, going back to uh, how do you know it's done? That's, that's the, that's the perennial writer's curse is, <laughs> it is when, when is it done? When is it enough? When do I, when do I put it down and, and say it's, it's either, it's either time to have, have one hell of a bonfire uh, or, or publish it. 
you know, right. send it, send it out there to the world. So, uh, and, and I, I can tell you, you know, I've, I've had a couple of books that have, that have been out in the market for a number of years. I still look at them and go, ah, I wish I'd have done that differently, you know, <laughs> but, but that's, that's, that's part of, I think that's part of us growing as, as writers. We, 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 we write to, to a moment or a place in where we are in our lives. And then we inevitably evolve through that and, and past that. And part of that evolution is maybe, maybe some appreciation of, of that simpler perspective, but how to walk on water is the Chicago writers association book of the year for 2021 under traditional fiction. The author is Rachel Swearingen. RachelSwearingen.com is the website. And we'll post that in the notes here with the podcast. Rachel, thank you so much. Bill, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It has been. And w- when, when you're ready to publish that other novel, please come back and let's, uh, let's talk more about, about that process uh, as, you, uh, as you get a little closer and a little farther through it. I will. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you soon. A reminder that CWA will be holding a virtual comic book writing workshop on Saturday, February 5th, 2022, from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. To register, go to Eventbrite and search Writing Comics Workshop. Everyone here at CWA would like to thank our guests, Libby Fisher-Hellman and Rachel Swearingen, for joining us on this episode of Chicago Writes, a podcast of the Chicago Writers Association. Visit chicagorights.org. Our theme song is Midnight Ride by Dino Olovchich, which is available on Spotify. Spotify.